1: Coming up on the Hockey News Pregame Show, Yarmulk and is out in Columbus. What comes next for the Blue Jackets?
2: Toronto on a revenge tour since Morgan Riley's
1: suspension. Is this just what the Leafs needed? And joining us from Montreal, we've got site reporter Amy Johnson on the Habs. I'm Ryan Kennedy. I'm Michael Trikos, and this is the Hockey News Pregame Show, brought to you by BetMGM and NorthlandHockey.com. <laughs> What's up, hockey fans? Welcome to the Hockey News pregame show. I'm Michael Tracos. With me, as always, is Ryan Kennedy. And, Ryan, a lot of news coming out of Columbus these days. Yarmil yeah. uh, Kikalinen, who's been there forever, no longer the GM. Um, surprised by this move, surprised that it maybe took so long. Initially, and then you know, from what's coming out, it
2: seems like uh, you know, team president John Davidson uh, had sort of been on the shelf with a, a bit of an injury, a medical situation, so he had been away from the club, and they wanted everybody there before they made the ultimate decision. So I think that's why it took a bit longer, uh, is they really wanted to make sure that this was the decision they were going to make as an organization. I mean, in terms of. The resume this season it totally makes sense you know the mike babcock hiring was a disaster yeah uh, the season itself has been really rough um you know they, they still do have a lot of good young players but we're not seeing that forward momentum with the blue jackets
1: now you could point to the mike babcock um hiring and then dismissal before the season even starts as really the impetus for yarmo not being there as the GM. But I would even point to, you know, the the Babcock is a mistake. Mm -hmm. It's how you tried to fix that mistake that made it this even a a greater mistake. Because Mm -hmm. when I look at the Blue Jackets right now, or when you're talking to people about the Blue Jackets, there's a sense of frustration, not so much with the record, but with how the young guys are being brought up. Mm -hmm. And I would argue that, you know, had they hired someone to replace Babcock, who wasn't Pascal Vincent, um, who was playing Fantilli, playing David Juracek, and playing more of these young guys like a Kent Janssen, that we might not be in this situation.
2: Yeah, and I I almost wonder now, too, even though this is Pascal Vincent's first year behind the bench, you bring in a new GM, does he want his own guy behind the bench? Like, does Pascal Vincent... Oh, 100%, I think. Is he just a a one-year... Yeah, exactly. And. And maybe you bring in, you know, the names we've been talking about. Yeah, they're recycled, but a Craig Berube, a Dean Evason. Yeah. You know, um, there's, there's quite a few names out there. Uh, Todd McClellan, Woodcroft. Yeah. You know, that was with Edmonton. Um, you know, there are a lot of good options out there where you have this nice young core And, you know, you mentioned those guys uh, and Dmitry Voronkov as well is having a great season. Kirill Marchenko, um, you know, they have the foundations of an interesting team. I think they need an upgrade in net. Uh, They got to get healthy as well. That's been a problem over the years as well.
1: Um, But, I mean, there's something there. It just feels like everything was disconnected. I think this is an enticing team to join. And I think that was why Mike Babcock initially wanted to go to uh, Columbus. I think this is a team that's just primed to kind of take off. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you add to that group of young players they have, they're going to get a pretty good draft pick this year as well. Like True. Uh, right now it's looking like a top five pick for the Columbus Blue Jackets. So um, you also have Johnny Goudreau there. Mm-hmm. You've got Patrick Laine and obviously Patrick's going through some issues right now. So he's not with the team, but, you know, on paper, this looks like a really good team. Yeah,
2: and it's funny too. Like you look in retrospect, some of the big bold moves that Keegan Lineen made at the time, you're like, "Ooh, okay, that's fun." Like Johnny Gaudreau, it's like, "Wow, you got the best free agent on the market. That's pretty awesome." He could have went anywhere. He could he could have gone anywhere, and yeah. he chose Columbus, and it just it hasn't worked out. And you know, the, bringing in Patrick Laine, uh, you know, like Pierre Luc Dubois, obviously it wasn't working out. So it's like, okay, well you get. Patrick Line, you know, a guy with 40 goal potential, hey, that's pretty good. Unfortunately, like even leading up to this season, uh, Linet has had a lot of just like injury problems where he hasn't had that 82 game campaign. You know some of his points per game seasons in Columbus have been decent, but you don't get that full effect because he's been out of the lineup for 20, 25, 30 games each year.
1: It's funny it's like there's a lot of teams that are sort of in that Columbus kind of territory where you're going great young players mm. they've got some pieces around them. why haven't they taken off and you could look at Buffalo right now you could yep. look at Ottawa, maybe not so much Montreal we're gonna talk a bit about them later on in the show with Amy Johnson from mm. uh, one of our site reporters but it, I don't know what the <laughs> what the thing is that where they these teams need to kind of Get over that hump and start contending. But you know, when you look at on paper, like why aren't the Ottawa Senators better than they are, or why, are, why aren't Columbus, why is, why aren't they as good as they have been? And I thought like it was a matter of getting a coach like a Mike Babcock there. Uh-huh. Do you think maybe a bigger shakeup needs to happen? In well, specifically talking about the Blue Jackets. Well.
2: One thing that I'm thinking with, uh, with a couple of those teams you mentioned, uh, not so much Buffalo because they have Tage Thompson uh, and they do have Dylan Cousins as well, but you look at Montreal, and I'll even toss in Montreal there. You look at Montreal, you look at Ottawa, you look at Columbus. Mm-hmm. Right now, they don't have a true number one center and have not had a true number one center in years. Yeah. You know, like, I think Adam Fantilli can be that guy in Columbus, maybe right. as soon as like next year. But he's a rookie. You can't put that all on a teenager right now. He's, like, growing into the NHL learning the ropes. Montreal, you know, Nick Suzuki, probably more of a 1B kind of guy. Probably. You know, Ottawa, Tim Stutzle wasn't even really a center uh, coming up. He was a winger. And, you know, they've got him in that role, and he's pretty good. You know, they have Josh Norris, who, again, is probably more of a, a number two or a 1B Um But that straight up dominant center, that McDavid, McKinnon, Matthews, you know, those kind of guys, they can really just pull a franchise together. And, you know, Boston, you know, for years was Patrice Bergeron. I mean, so many successful teams. Tampa Bay has, you know, they've had a couple of great top end centers, Stamkos, Braden Point. Um, it really does matter when it comes
1: down to it. I, I'm 100% with you. And when they drafted Dubois, you got to remember he was a, primarily a winger that it's they true. tried to convert to center. He started,
2: yeah, he started learning center in the second half of his junior year with Kate Breton. Yeah,
1: and the reason was, is like, hey, this guy's going to be more valuable to this team as a center. And I think mm-hmm. that's why Yarmol kind of went, like, there was all this talk, like, why aren't you taking Cordoba Yarvi at that position? Um, it was because, you know, Dubois, with his size and that t- sort of two-way game that yeah. he's developed, he's a perfect center. And even when Goudreau signed with Columbus, it was like, well, who's going to get him the puck? Right. Because it was like, you well, know, is not getting the puck. And yeah. um, I know they got Roslovich, but what is he, a number three center on a really good team?
2: Yeah, I mean, like, right now, like, like, Boone Jenner has been their number one center. And, like, again, like, I don't even know if Boone Jenner in a perfect world is a center, right? Yeah. Like, he might be better as a winger. Same with Roslevic, for that matter. Cole Sillinger is a center, but again, he's more of a middle six center at best. Yeah. Uh, so, really, I, that was sort of the, the flaw in the overall plan for me the past couple of years, is they didn't have that true number one. And, again, it might be Fantilli, but you got to give him time. Might be. It better be with Fantilli. <laughs> it better be Fantilli, well, Like, I don't yeah. know where you're looking now. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of your only option.
1: Yeah, and, and that's why when you look at the draft and you're like, he you can't draft by position, but you can't also draft a winger and say, learn center. Right. Like, I know the Leafs were even looking at William Nylander when they drafted him. They're like, yeah, maybe he can play center. He does that at the World Junior Team. It's like, if he's not playing center and dominating at center at a lower level, yeah. what makes you think you can convert him to center in the hardest league in the in the world?
2: Yeah, totally. You can turn a center into a winger. You can't turn a winger into a center.
1: How about a center into a defenseman? <laughs> Ooh, good question. <laughs> no, it's true. Um, listen, uh, what did you make of Yarmo's? like moves like we talked about line a here we talked about the goudreau um acquisition but when we're looking at his draft record mm-hmm. where you know for years that was the kind of saving grace for line and is like this guy's a draft guru and I, was he with he was St. With St. louis, louis before, right yeah, and then, yeah. yeah i had a role in getting guys i believe like colton pareko was under his watch or I'm trying to think who would he have uh, drafted maybe mm-hmm. tarasenko when he was there. Might have been. Yeah. What what did you make of his uh, draft record when you look at him?
2: Yeah, it was interesting. So I I started a new column this week on doggynews.com, Future Watch Weekly, and it's all about prospects. And one of the things I looked into was what was Yarmo's draft record. And, you know, he's had basically the same director of amateur scouting his whole tenure, Billy Sirin, Mm. and they worked very well together. And it's interesting. Like, there was definitely like a mixed bag. Like, I would say in the end, He was probably kind of par for the course for most GMs where, you know, they could have had David Pasternak, they took Sonny Milano instead, you know. Um, But at the same time, you know, Pierre-Luc Dubois, that was a better pick than Jesse Pugliarvi ultimately. And the fact that Yarmo is Finnish... Mm-hmm. I think we were all like, well, he should know Pugliarvi. And it's like, okay, well, he, if he's avoiding Pugliarvi, then there must be a reason for it. <laughs> 100%. Right? So it's like, okay, that was good. one. David Juracek already looking like a great pick. Uh, but then I, there were times I felt like they got a little too cute, right? Like the Igor Chinnikov pick, mm-hmm. where it's like, okay, that was a weird pandemic draft where the draft happened later. He got off to a great start in the KHL. But he had already been passed over once. So if he was really that great of a gem... You should have taken them the year before in the seventh round. You know, they had a seventh round pick, too. Um, You could have had Brock Faber. You could have had J.J. Paterka. You could have had Ridley Gregg. Wow. Right? And those were, like, not reaches. Yeah. yeah. You know, like, Chinnikoff was that one that we were all stunned by on draft night. It was certainly, like, to me, it was a little too cute. If you love the guy so much, get him in the next round. Exactly. Yeah, he'll be there. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk some Leafs. I know we do it often, but they seem to be in the headlines a lot. Morgan Riley, the five game suspension. Were people talking about that this week? I think so, maybe okay. a little bit. Um, since the suspension, the Leafs have gone 2 and 0 so far, and uh, they've got hat tricks in both those games one from Austin Matthews, one from Bobby McMahon. And that was his third, fourth, and fifth goal of his NHL career. Um, so I posit to you, Michael. Has this galvanized the Leafs? This is a team that we weren't sure what they were for most of this year. It feels like they're like locked in. Matthew Nives made reference to it the other day. That's like, yeah, for a guy like Riley to st- you know to, to step up in that game, and now we got to play for him kind of thing. Uh, did this kind of work
1: out? This is the best thing that happened to the Leafs <laughs> right. all, all season, hundred yeah. percent. And we haven't heard from Tri Living since the suspension occurred. We were supposed to hear from him. Um, I believe that's probably due to the fact that they are appealing the suspension. He doesn't want to say anything right now. If I'm Bradford Living, though, the first thing I'm saying is, you know, thank God to Morgan Riley uh, for doing what should have been done years ago in the sense that, you know, it's about time a superstar, quote-unquote, superstar on this team, you know, went outside his comfort zone. Mm -hmm. Morgan Riley's not a fighter. We saw him get into dust-ups in the Lightning Series and the Panther Series. But that's not his game. Mm -hmm. So the fact that he is going outside his comfort zone, I think this is going to have a trickle down effect. You've already heard the comments from Matthew Nyes. I believe as the season goes on and we get closer to that playoff, uh, that first round series, we're going to see this from you know Morgan, or sorry, not only Morgan Riley, but uh, Mitch Marner, William Nylander, and an Austin Matthews, Mm -hmm. who you know last time I checked, I think was still leading this team in body checks. They're not the ones that you know Wendell Clark used to deliver back in the day, but you know. He's a big guy. Separate and, the man from the puck. Yeah, it's kind of the same argument that kind of always got made with Matt Sundin. It's like, he's a big guy. Why doesn't he play more like Doug Gilmore did or Wendell Clark did? It's like, well, that's not his game. Mm. Well, sometimes it has to be your game, um, especially if you're going to get past a Panthers team that really plays the bully. Indeed. And,
2: you know, again, Tampa Bay is in the playoff mix. Boston, you know, Boston's not the big, bad Bruins bad of old, but they're certainly not going to be a pushover in the playoffs. So Definitely you, not. You do have to get prepared for that. Um, and in terms of the fact that Riley is appealing his suspension, uh, or at least the length of it, was he right to do so?
1: I think so. I don't know about you, but I thought the suspension should have been around the 2-3 to three game mark. Um, I, th- I think that there is a case to be made that they went a little overboard with the suspension. How do you feel about that? To me, it
2: felt right. Um, I, I guess, you know, maybe the argument from him was that, you know, the cross-check was supposed to be to the shoulder and it <laughs> rode up. I mean, I'm, I'm trying yeah, to think yeah. of, like, if I was the uh, the defense attorney, yeah, yeah. you know, in this trial. Um, but it was to the head. And it was not a hockey play by any stretch of the imagination. No. And, you know... We do want to eliminate contact to the head, if possible, in the NHL. So to me, five games is like, yeah, okay, I get that. And keep in mind too, you know, originally, because it was supposed, it was an in-person hearing, moved to Zoom due to weather-related uh, uh, matters, we thought it would be six plus, because right. you know, if it's in person, then they, the Department of Player Safety has the option of going. Over five games, so the fact that it was only five, to me, it felt like it's like okay. I, I don't think many people can complain about the result, given uh, how blatant an action it was.
1: No, I'm kind of with you. Um, at the same time, the player wasn't injured. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I know it looked bad, and it could have been worse. Right. At the end of the day, Ridley Greg was in the lineup the next game. Right. So. Is that practice the next day? Yeah. And end of the day, the Toronto Maple Leafs. You know, like you said. Um, They've already won twice. They're playing Anaheim on Saturday night. I don't know if we're going to get another (laughs) hat-trick. Maybe the the hat-trick train will continue to roll. Maybe. The Ducks are not exactly
2: a defensive juggernaut.
1: No, but, you know, maybe this kind of, you know, it allows the Leafs to kind of throw some defensemen in different roles and allows you to, you know, rely on Austin Matthews all that much more. Right. Because let's face it, this guy is just a scoring machine right now on pace for something like 70 or 71 goals. It it really is ridiculous what is happening with this Leafs team in the sense that they've got a scorer that they've never had ever in franchise history. And, you know, the way that Matthews is scoring, I I saw a stat the other day where since, like, he came into the season, he has something like, I think, 50 or something more goals than the next highest scorer. Wow. Like, he's just... You know, they've got a weapon back there, yeah. or up there, yeah. Um, I, I'm kind of curious to see what the leaves do going into the trade deadline because you know, when you've got a guy who's got potential to score 70 goals, this is the year to go for it,
2: yeah. No, I agree, and I think just that window, you know, whether it's the salary cap, whether it's just you know, guys aging out, um, you know, they do have to strike now. Can they make a big move for a Tanev, a Hannafin, you know, a defenseman of some note? That will be the interesting thing because you know, the pipeline's not really great right now. They don't have a lot of draft picks. Is there a hockey trade to be made? Do they, does Bradford Living do something super bold? That'd be kind of fun to figure out. Uh, one team that has been quite bold this year in, a, in the positive sense, the Philadelphia Flyers, certainly punching above their weight. Uh, in the Metro Division. But they just named Sean Couturier a captain midway through the season. Uh, he's a veteran guy. What do you think? Is this a good call?
1: Yeah, I think this is the obvious choice. Uh, we kind of went through like who might be their next captain. Mm-hmm. and You look at Couturier. He plays the game the right way. Yeah. Um, he's probably going to get some selkie love this year. I don't know if he's going to win the award, but I think he'll be a finalist. Um, yeah, he's got like, what, 11 goals, 33 points in 51 games. He's not leading the team in scoring, but... You know, from a, you know, put him on the ice against the Matthews, he's a great two-way option for you. Mm. Um, You know, he's a perfect guy, especially when you got a John Tortorella as a coach. Um, He's the guy that you want in all situations where he's not going to cheat you anywhere.
2: Definitely. And you know what? I I like it too. And I kind of compare it to Brad Marchand getting the captaincy Mm. in Boston. And something Don Sweeney said in in the Hockey News magazine earlier this year when we talked about the Bruins was, you know, Marchand might not be the captain for a really long time, you know, just based on his age. Like, who knows how many more seasons he's going to play. But he's going to be that guy that will continue to teach the next generation, a Charlie McAvoy, for example, you know, whoever the next captain of the Bruins is, he's going to be that transition guy. I almost feel like with Couturier, because he's had so many back problems, Mm. uh, you know, who knows how many more years he's going to play in the NHL. But the next captain is probably going to be a Travis Konechny. Joel Farabee, who knows? So, yeah, I like it.
1: Uh, I think it's a good one. We are happy to be joined by our Montreal Canadiens site reporter, Amy Johnson. How are you doing there, Amy?
0: I'm doing great, thank you. It's great to be here.
1: All right. Well, we're happy to have you on. And, you know, this season for the Montreal Canadiens, I would say expectations were realistic. Uh, No one was saying that this is going to be a playoff team as of yet. I think uh, the year was probably going to be about... You know, how well do the kids develop uh, under Marty St. Louis? And, you know, further to that, let's start with Yuri Slefkovsky, their number one pick from a couple years ago. He's got 12 goals, 29 points. And, you know, those don't scream number one overall pick type numbers to me. And yet, when we're looking at that draft, it's not like Logan Cooley is tearing things up in Arizona. Shane Wright, uh, a guy that the Habs were possibly linked to, is still in the AHL. So you know what do we make of uh, Slavkovsky's season so far, and uh, what are the positives when you're looking at his game?
0: Well, really, you kind of, you really hit the nail right on the head there, saying that when you look at those statistics, it's not obviously blowing you out of the water saying, oh, wow, obviously this kid was a first overall selection. But it's when you really look at his body of work as a whole that you realize that his development really is coming along. And of course, development is never a linear path. There's going to be ups, there's going to be downs, setbacks, and so forth. His rookie season, of course, uh, didn't go as anyone really had planned. And frankly, the first half of the season for him this year, the first couple of months, were almost frighteningly slow. There was a lot of talk just six to eight weeks ago as to whether or not your Slipkowski should spend some time in Laval in the AHL because It just he didn't seem to be putting the pieces together. But Marty St. Louis, Kent Hughes, they stuck with their first overall pick. And ever since about December, -December mid-December-ish, he has really started to come on. And now you see, uh, just a within the last couple of weeks, he's had his first multi-goal game. uh, And he is becoming a very dependable forward for the Canadians. And as he likes to jokingly say, uh, people are telling him to shoot more. And so he's been doing that. And it's uh, been putting the puck in the back of the net a lot more often. So I think it's really encouraging. Um, It's difficult for Anyone other than you know the Connor Bedards of a draft to really come in and take the NHL by force, and so I think we're just seeing a natural progression of a high-end forward, and I think there's a lot of upside uh, yet to come from your Isilovkovsky.
2: And uh, you know, one player who is having a fantastic offensive season by his standards is is Nick Suzuki, and you know, for a team that doesn't have that dominant number one center, Suzuki obviously has a big role on this team. What do you think has been the difference this year? Why is Nick Suzuki having so much success?
0: I think part of it is he and Caulfield have a natural chemistry together, both on and off the ice. And I think that as the two of them continue to play together, they just solidify that chemistry more and more. Um, Caulfield hasn't necessarily had the big season that we maybe all were hoping or expecting that he would compared to how he was doing last year before he left the season with an injury. But I do think that the two of them feed off of one another well. There's been not necessarily a steady third person on that line. Uh, Suzuki and Caulfield have kind of to audition a bunch of different forwards throughout the season, but Slavkovsky seems to fit in well with the the two of them, and I think if they can continue to have that three young forwards start to really gel and come together, I think that's really helped Suzuki. I think he's settling into his role of captain a little bit more this season. I think he's learning to take better responsibility on and off the ice and accountability for not only himself, but the team. Uh, And I think all of those things are contributing to him just having more Confidence out on the ice.
1: Now, Amy, we've already seen the Habs sort of make uh, some moves already going into the trade deadline. Uh, Sean Monaghan obviously gets shipped out. Um, I I imagine with the trade deadline coming up on March 8th that we're going to see even more moves uh, being made. You know, let's kind of go through some of those names. Like uh, Jake Allen um, looks very enticing to some teams that need some goaltender help, but How busy do you think the Habs are going to be in terms of are they going to go all in as sellers or um, like who are teams sort of sniffing around right now?
0: Well, I'm going to I'm going to say that my fingers are crossed that we are going to see a very active Montreal Canadiens organization this year. Uh, Last year was actually, frankly, a lot more quiet than I was expecting them to be. So I think this year we're going to see something a little bit different, although Kent Hughes is still going to, uh, you know, play his cards pretty close and he's he's not going to let go of assets just for the sake of making a trade it's going to have to have a benefit to the canadians organization uh you're right about jake allen he's certainly one of the names that's been thrown around uh likened with you know the avalanche possibly looking or the devils possibly looking you know he's got one more year left on his contract making 3.85 million a year uh kent hughes acknowledges over and over that they have to do something about this three goaltender rotation that they have. It wasn't their intention to even go this far into the season with three netminders. minders. Um, so it's going to be a, a matter of whether or not he can find the right trade partner before the deadline or not. Uh, he's not in a hurry. He says that if he has to go to the end of the season with three that he will. But if he can find the right trade partner, Jake Allen is a really terrific team guy. He's a wonderful mentor. Uh, he's got great attitude, a very professional attitude when it comes to even sustaining this three goaltender rotation. And and despite the fact that he's had what looks like on paper some struggles here and there this season, I think we all have to also keep in mind that he's only started 18 games this season. He's had a very erratic and irregular uh, rhythm to his starts and his games, and that's not always easy for a goaltender. So I think Jake Allen is a great trade target. Um, I think uh, Darren Dreger has even thrown out names like David Savard or Josh Anderson as being potential targets. Um, Anderson, if for my money, I would have liked to have seen Kent Hughes trade him last season when teams were calling about Anderson prior to the trade deadline. Uh, This year has been a bit more of a struggle for him. Uh, If we remember, he went on a really big 27 game goal drought to start the season. Um, really struggled to find the back of the net. Once he finally did that in December, he went ahead and and scored six goals in that month. But since then, he's only had one goal in his last 16 games. So Anderson is one that certainly could be packaged out or certainly for the right fit on the right team could be a good asset. I think that perhaps Kent Hughes could have gotten more for him if he had pulled the trigger and traded him last year. Uh, David Savard's a difficult one in 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 a year where... The Habs are still obviously in the middle of a rebuild. Uh, There really isn't a lot of room for sentimentality, and that's going to be an issue for fans when it comes to uh, Savard because he is such a fan favorite. Uh, He's another one that comes with another... A bit of term. He's got another year left on his contract at about three and a half million dollars per year. Uh, But what David Savard does, obviously he brings solid veteran play on the back end and he sacrifices himself just about every night. He leads the Canadians in block shots. He would absolutely be an asset uh, for anyone who comes calling. I think where things are going to get tricky for Kent Hughes in terms of the trade deadline this year in his negotiations, we know that Kent Hughes is, is perfectly willing to play third-party broker and accept you know a, take on a little bit of salary uh, when there's teams looking for a kind of a, a multi-team trade deal he's not afraid to do that and and he's also not afraid to retain salary however with a lot of the guys that we just talked about whether it's Anderson or Savard or Jake Allen um, it's possible that he might need to retain salary on one or more of those guys the issue is he's already used two of his three salary retention slots for this year. He's got those tied up with uh, Joel Edmondson and Jeff Petrie. And even going further into next year, Jeff Petrie will still be using one of those salary retention spots next year. So he's already used one of his three retention spots for next year as well. So that might start to play a little bit of kind of tricky negotiating and some just one more piece of the puzzle that Kent Hughes is going to have to work with. But I think that we're in for uh, what could be a pretty exciting trade deadline for, for Kent Hughes and the Montreal Canadiens.
1: Definitely. Um, yeah, it looks like it's going to get busier as the month goes on. Thanks again, Amy, uh, for joining the Hockey News Pregame Show. We got more coming up after the break. Stick with us.
2: Welcome back to the Hockey News Pregame Show. And Michael, we got some outdoor game talk to get to here. Uh, Columbus is finally getting an outdoor game. It was announced the other day, or leaked on Twitter, if you will. Uh, they're going to play at Ohio State's football stadium, that big horseshoe. Uh, they're going to play Detroit. How cool is that? And do Red Wings fans wear Michigan Wolverines gear, or do they wear a Red Wings gear?
1: Ooh, interesting. Mm. Um, I love it when they go to these big football stadiums. Like oh. I was there for when the Leafs play the Red Wings at the big house. Nice. Um, and it was, you know, just as a hockey guy, I never had gone to that stadium, mm. and it's just massive. I don't know how it looks on TV. I think that's always the... The trade-off right if you're in that city it's great to be part of the whole outdoor experience and everything but it's just like does it translate on tv because the tv cameras are always back more right it just seems like it feels lower or something they need some more drone shots but yeah good for them um what are we down to now how many teams have not had the all-star game okay sorry the outdoor game
2: (laughs) the outdoor. okay so the only teams yet to have played outdoors uh, now are Arizona and Florida, and we'll get to them uh, in a second. But makes sense just based it on it does based weather. on yeah exactly. Uh, but you know we Los Angeles has done it. You know Tampa Bay's done it. Mm-hmm. So it, it is possible in different ways, and you don't always have to play at home. Uh, but real quick, sticking on Columbus, what should their throwback jersey look like?
1: So we're talking about this and. Um, You can't go with the Ohio State football team jersey because it's just plain red. Uh It's kind of boring. Unless you go big number and like Columbus. I think they're going to do something with like a varsity look. That would be cool. Yeah. So it's either going to say like just, I guess, could you just do, a? you're not going to do Ohio State, but you could just maybe do Blue Jackets across or something like that. So I think that's gonna ta- it's going to be a take on either their hockey collegiate jerseys or the football jerseys in mm. some fashion.
2: Nice, nice. I would like to see, uh, I actually did this in Jersey Hound in the magazine not too long ago, uh, the Columbus Chill, the old ECHL team that uh, predated the Blue Jackets in town by a few years. Uh, a very, very 90s jerseys, you can kind of tell. And instead of saying chill up the side, maybe you do Columbus or you do mm. Blue Jackets. I don't know. You, Blue Jackets might be too many letters, but maybe you do Columbus up the side, something like that. Uh, fu- interesting team, too. Brad living and Don Granato both played for the Columbus chill. Is that right? Yes. Uh, interesting. Yeah.
1: What do you make of this year's, like, uh, Stadium Series jerseys?
2: Yeah, so Stadium Series... Great timing. Game start tonight, and there's another one on Sunday. Um, I really like the New York Rangers one. I like the Devils. Do you like that? I, yeah, I don't I like mind it. the Devils. I like it. Yeah, it's pretty good. Uh, I know people gave the Islanders flack, but now that I've seen the helmets, the helmets have the NY on them as well. Yeah, okay. It's a pretty cool combination, so I don't mind that. And then the Flyers, it's, it's a Flyers jersey because... They don't have different ways to go, you know? So it's just sort of like, how many combinations of white, black, and orange can we do? So I don't know what the Flyers could have done, especially because they've done a bunch of outdoor games as well.
1: well. The thing that's really interesting with this outdoor game, sometimes they're just kind of an afterthought. You know, you just throw two teams together. But Mm. these four teams are all kind of locked in the standings. Like, like, these games matter. Yep. Um, And Islanders-Rangers, that's like one
2: of the best rivalries In hockey.
1: Yeah, so they really nailed it, I think, with these four teams. Because, you know, going into the season, we are thinking, oh, the Flyers are just going to be kind of an afterthought. Mm -hmm. Um, Who knows what the Islanders are going to look like, but... It's all tight. Yeah, this is going to be much, um, you know, must-watch TV. It's important points. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And real quick, before we get back on Arizona and Florida, uh, Blake Wheeler, out for the year with a leg injury for the Rangers... Uh, we might see the gigantic Matt Rempe in the game uh, <laughs> tonight. Uh, how big a loss of this is this for New York?
1: Oh, it's a huge loss. Uh, Wheeler was having a pretty decent season this year. And I, I think if you're looking at you know, the Rangers as a cup contender... Um, Losing Wheeler is huge. Mm. Luckily, it happens before the trade deadline. Yeah. Um, And luckily, you've got a team in Washington that's trying possibly to move a guy like Anthony Mantha. Um, Ah, Could Mantha replace Wheeler in your mind?
2: Mm, I mean, they're completely different players other than (laughs) the fact that they're like
1: big guys. Wheeler's more of a passer. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
2: Um, It's interesting too because... The sort of worst thing about Wheeler going down is that he was on like a minimum contract. Yeah. So it's not even like you save money on LTIR True. with him being out. But Manta, you know what? I mean, it's interesting. Like, if you're looking for somebody that can maybe, you know, he's sort of a streaky scorer. If you think you need more goals, Mantha's your guy. If you want him to be like a two way player, that's not going to happen. Yeah. So ultimately,
1: it means maybe a guy like Kako and Lafreniere, they just become a little bit more important to you.
2: Yeah, and also you know I, I keep going back. You know the the Rangers they're they're so stacked up front right now that they you know their prospects haven't had to jump into roles. But like guys like Brendan Othman and Will Cooley, yep. you know both are very physical. Uh, you know maybe opportunities for them down the road. So it be interesting. But let's go back to the outdoor games. So Arizona and Florida. Yep. Never had outdoor games. What's the best location? <laughs> and. Uh, Let's talk some throwbacks as well. I'm going to start off with Arizona. Something I was told uh, a couple of years ago now, because obviously Arizona's been trying to figure out where they're going to play long term. I was told that they were thinking of playing games at the Arizona Diamondbacks baseball stadium, which has a retractable roof. So interesting for an outdoor game, it kind of feels like, I think it's called Chase Field yeah that to me would be a perfect location for an Arizona Turkey.
1: Yeah, I like that. I, I just think that like we gotta, st- you know, not just think always stadiums. Okay, so I'm listening. If we're talking Florida, uh-huh. you got Fort Lauderdale Beach right there. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> Why not I literally just like you just pop down. A rink uh uh-huh. sort of in the beach area where you got the ocean in the background similar yeah. to when they went to like what is it lake was tahoe, lake tahoe right. and you had like the forest in the background right make it more of a tv spectacle i don't yeah. think you're gonna really tap into a whole lot of fans in south florida anyway uh-huh um i think it's more of a hey this a is vibe. gonna look really cool on yeah. tv you have sort of a like surf style game uh-huh Am I That's, crazy? <laughs> you know
2: what? I mean, there's something interesting there because what I could also see, which I believe happened in Lake Tahoe, is you had people go out in like kayaks or whatever watching the game from exactly. the water. That would yeah. be kind of neat. Uh, let's talk jerseys really quickly. Uh, for Florida, there was once a league. This is like 1938, uh called the Tropical League. Okay. Four teams that were all in Miami. Didn't last long. But I would love to see the Florida <laughs> Panthers. Yeah, I know, right? I'd love to see the Florida Panthers uh, make reference to that old Tropical League somehow. Maybe using some of the striping or patterns or whatever from a team like the Miami Clippers, as they were <laughs> known back then. Sure. Why not, right? <laughs> Why
1: not? I, you know, I, with both those games, you could just go real old school mm-hmm. and you know grab the first jersey they they played in. But I think if we're going to go... You know, if if we actually get the game in Florida or in Arizona, I think you have to go play on the whole, you know, we're not in a traditional market. Right. We're in a climate that just doesn't make sense for outdoor hockey Uh and really have fun with that. Yeah, right on. So, yeah, I'm talking tank tops. Tank (laughs) tops, interesting, (laughs) wow. Forget about the long sleeves.
2: I want to see the return of the full coyote, the sort of leaping coyote they used for a couple of years as a third. Maybe you do that on Kachina Colors.
1: I don't know. Brian, what time is it? rapid fire
2: time. All right.
1: (laughs) Producer (laughs) Connor, I hear you got some questions for us.
3: Sound more enthusiastic here, Mike, (laughs) because we've got a women's hockey rapid fire.
1: Let's do it. Hey, the hottest league in town right now. Hottest league
3: in town, but we're not starting off with the league. We're starting out with the rivalry series Mm. because that wrapped up last weekend and Canada won. Uh, Came back from being down three games to nothing. So my question is, Mm. what were your thoughts on the tournament?
2: I thought it was interesting. I'm still not willing to count out the U.S. as being a superpower, even though it was 3 nothing for them and Canada came back. I do feel like at this point, it's just sort of like you go into every tournament and say like, it's going to be close in the end, even though this was one that was much more spread out in terms of when the games were played.
1: Much more spread out indeed, Ryan. <laughs> this thing <laughs> began in November and right. it ended just last week, so... Um, yeah no momentum and, and I think that's the thing when mm. we talk about they reverse the sweep like Canada was down 3 nothing. the game started in November so right. there was no like hey we're up one nothing, we're up 2 nothing. let's just put the pedal down and finish this right. you literally had to wait months between games 1 and game 7 so uh, I'm with you um, the big takeaway is you know whenever these teams meet if it's a one game off they're going to go to overtime and it's going to be a close game. Right. If it's a seven-game series, it's you know what? Seven. Buy tickets for game seven. Yeah, totally.
3: Well, you sort of leaned into it, the, my question. Next one, Ryan. Mm. Can we definitively call Canada the best women's international team?
2: See, I, I can't go there because I know there's so many young players coming up and you know, sort of instant stars in the PWHL like Taylor Heisey number one pick overall, right? She's American. So even though you've got lots of good players um, that are coming to the fore, it still seems like it's split pretty evenly where you know, you're know you gonna have certain phenoms come up at different times, uh, but it's still pretty balanced. So I, I think the rivalry is still in a great place where, I mean, honestly, like the next step is for some other team to come in and really challenge on a consistent basis. You know, we've seen Sweden internationally do some good things. We've seen the Czechs, I think it was at the World Junior or under-18 level, uh, make a nice strike. And of course, you have Slovakia's Nella Lopasanova, who's like the meteoric star on the rise uh, for women's hockey. Uh, but it it still feels very even to me between Canada. and
1: I'm going to go the other way, Ryan. Like, in the same reason we say the men's Canadian team are the team to beat mm-hmm. until the Americans actually beat them.
0: Internationally? Uh, yeah, internationally.
1: Yeah. Um, like, say what you want about, you know, Austin Matthews, Jack Hughes, this this American team that's going to be coming up. Yeah. You know, until you, you... Still you, got to do it. You got to do it. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. At the top of the mountain right now is the men's Canadian team, and I'd argue that on the women's side, as long as you got Marie-Philippe um, the men's, can, uh, or sorry, the women's, Canadian team is the team to beat. fair enough.
3: All right, let's go to Toronto. Mm -hmm. Because last night, they set the record for attendance at a women's hockey game with 19,285 people in attendance against Montreal at Scotiabank Arena. Which begs the question, is it time for the Toronto PWHL team to share the Scotiabank Arena with the Toronto Maple Leafs and Toronto Raptors?
2: I don't think yet because I think the PWHL has done so many good things so far and they've all been organic and they haven't overstretched themselves. So what I would suggest is that starting next year, they try to play at Coca-Cola Coliseum, home of the AHL's Toronto Marlies. Mm -hmm. Um, And you still do a game or two at Scotiabank because it's a great showcase and clearly there was an appetite for it. But Coca-Cola seats around 8,000 for hockey. If you get 8,000 fans per game for Toronto's t- PWHL team in their second season, that would be a huge victory. And you want to keep that demand, right? You, don't, you, you want more people to be like, oh, i got to get out to a game. You don't want people being like, oh, yeah, you can go anytime you want.
1: 19285. You know, the Ottawa Senators love to have that those attendance numbers, Ryan. It's true. Um, but I'm with you. Um, maybe not a one off, but an every so often you yeah. play at Scotiabank. Yeah. With the playoffs, I think 100% you should Ooh. be moving it to a bigger arena. Yep. And if you have got some like, rivalry games, and I think they marketed this one perfectly. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, do they take up permanent residence there? Yeah, I'm with you. Um, let's let them knock down the doors like we can't we've got standing room only at at coca-cola coliseum Okay, now it's time to move them into a bigger facility yeah
3: all right the pwhl announced they are going to be playing a game each in detroit and pittsburgh during their takeover weekend on march 16th and 17th where else would you like to see them play a game
2: I think it's time to go West Coast for this because Ooh. obviously the teams are mostly concentrated in the East. I would love to see a Vancouver Seattle weekend where you get a couple of teams go out, play games over there, expand the, uh, the, uh, the footprint of the
1: league. How about the Sunbelt strategy? We're not going to go there. Now I'm going to be bold. Like, you know, let's really kind of stretch this thing out. Yeah, give, me a
3: phil- give me a Philadelphia. I'd love to see a Philadelphia. There you go. We have time uh, for one more. One let's more. go quicker. No, no we
1: nope. don't have
2: time for one more.
1: Sorry. Oh, yeah. no. Okay. Well, let's leave them hanging. This was the Hockey News pregame show for Ryan Kennedy. I'm Michael Trikos. Thank you to BetMGM and NorthlandHockey.com. See you next time at the rink.